Do you want to win some money? I bet you do. Do you care about civil affairs? Yes, I know for sure, because you're listening to the show. Check out the call for issue papers. The new theme is campaigning and civil affairs. Some questions to answer include, how can CA contribute to campaigning? Beyond policy, what changes can better operationalize and integrate CA's role in campaigning? How would CA even measure progress in campaigning? And how would a full concept of the CA role in campaigning apply to conflict prevention, security cooperation, irregular, or gray zone warfare? So put that thinking cap on and submit your papers by Friday, 15 September. For more details, visit civilfairsassoc.org. Welcome to the 1CA Podcast. This is your host, Jack Gaines. 1CA is a product of the Civil Affairs Association and brings in people who are current or former military, diplomats, development officers, and field agents to discuss their experiences on ground with the partner nation's people and leadership. Our goal is to inspire anyone interested in working the last three feet of foreign relations. To contact the show, email us at capodcasting at gmail.com or look us up on the Civil Affairs Association website at www.civilaffairsassoc.org. I'll have those in the show notes. And a quick shout out to LC38 Brand. They're offering 10% off for 1CA podcast fans. The promo code is 1CA10. LC38 Brand has a little bit of everything for the international adventurer. So check out their website at lc38brand.com. I'll have the promo code and the address in the show notes. Welcome, everyone. I'm Lieutenant Colonel Brian Hancock, and I will be your host for this episode of the One Civil Affairs Podcast. I have with me in the studio here my friend and colleague, Lieutenant Colonel Jess Langerud. Jess, how are you? How are you, sir? Outstanding. Doing well. Hey, we have to like recognize your promotion. This is your first podcast as Lieutenant Colonel, is it not? Oh, that's true. It is. I wish you were here at our big party that we had. Uh, it was a real gangbuster. Yeah, well, some of us have to work. Yes, and I believe you were in Poland, and we're, we're going to talk a little bit about that later in the show. Uh, thank you for what you were doing there, by the way. It was a, a pretty important mission. So let me tell you a little bit about uh, Lieutenant Colonel Langrid is mobilized to serve as Security Cooperation Officer in the Command Surgeon's Office at the U.S. Army, Europe, and Africa, or USARAF. Lieutenant Colonel Langrid has both an MBA and a Master of Arts in International Relations. And when not deployed, Lieutenant Colonel Langrid and his wife Stacy reside in Southern California. Their three daughters are all becoming successful young women of their own in San Diego, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. And I think the third, you're about to, to head back home and drop off. Is that correct? Yeah, the one good in Wisconsin is about to become a freshman in, in college. Mission complete on the high schools. Well done, good and faithful servant. They grew up so fast, I tell you. Any of them interested in joining us in civil affairs? It's funny, one of my daughters asked me, how do I get a job like you, Dad? And I say, I don't even know how I ended up here, so we'll have to talk about that. All right, well, redouble your efforts. You know, we have a recruiting crisis in the Army these days, uh, particularly for CA, where we have so many requirements to get in. But I know your daughters would be amazing candidates. Uh, our quick disclaimer for all of our episodes, all the remarks of those who present, uh, myself and, and the guests, do not necessarily represent the views of either the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. These views are solely our own. All right. That said, let's dive into this. We talked about uh, you being here in USARAF. In case the audience isn't familiar with USARAF, can you tell us just a little bit about the command and, and what its mission is? 
Yeah, so U.S. Army Europe Africa is the Army Service Component Command or LANDCOM uh, for U.S. forces. And, and I guess we also are the LANDCOM commander for NATO. So our four-star general, General Williams, is responsible for setting the theaters and leveraging the strategic assets for the land fight in Europe, as well as coordination with our partners and allies. Outstanding. I suspect we could probably have a very interesting discussion on what setting the theater means, especially in competition. But within that construct, what was your role in the organization? What have you been up to? So I'm within the command surgeon's office or directorate, and in there I am what they call a security cooperation officer within the GHE branch or global health engagement. And GHE is just a a fancy way of saying medical security cooperation. And so we work to work with our, our partners and allies to drive towards U.S. strategic interests with our partners and allies using short engagement, subject matter exchanges, technical exchanges to build partner capacity. So to help partners gain capabilities they may not already have. We also seek to build interoperability, mostly in the compatible or deconflicted stages or or categories of it. Or it could just be gateway, meaning we want the U.S. to remain a, a partner of choice and very often medical can access countries and communities that combat arms can't. That sounds very exciting. And I imagine your background with MedCom previously put you in a unique position to accept and execute a position like that. Yeah, I think I'm a little bit of a of a blend. I think we have some other folks in the civil affairs community that have healthcare and medical backgrounds, but might not have branched out into uh, that mill-to-mill security cooperation space. But it's uh, it's an area that's ripe for the right civil affairs officers to leverage their entire experience. Good to know that uh, the others could potentially come in and continue the efforts that you've, you've made to date. Now, prior to coming to Europe, you were the G9 uh, actual of the 79th Theater Sustainment Command, or TSC, uh, which is a two-star command. And then uh, prior to that, uh, according to your bio, you were the higher headquarters company commander for 351 Civil Affairs Command, which is a one-star command. Now, what's it like transitioning from a one and two star command to a four star headquarters? They're all very different. And with all of the general officers that I've worked for and with, I can honestly say that they each come with their own different perspectives and histories. And the key to being successful is learning what's important to them. And all of them have in mind what the mission of their command is especially coming up to the ASCC, we're surrounded by general officers and general officer commands. And so having been in those subordinate commands working for Indopaycom or USERPAC, now being at the ASCC and trying to leverage the capabilities and the strengths and coordinate the orchestra, if you will, it's a little bit of a different blend and it's been a really good experience. I think When I was at the one and the two star commands, that's kind of being like in the first chair of a section in the orchestra. And now at the four star command, you're actually working for the the conductor of the orchestra in, in trying to keep all of the parts playing in the same tempo and harmony. 
It must be very interesting. Uh, historically, uh, civil affairs came out of SOF. So we have traditionally focused at the tactical level. Uh, how do our tactical capabilities translate to that kind of operational, strategic, three and four star mindset? So I think the biggest thing that our CA community brings to the fight at a four star command inside of a staff is we are natural bridge builders. Within a command as large as USERAF, it's very easy for things to develop into silos and for there not to be cross-communication. And so coming from that CA background, it's very easy to make a connection with somebody, build a relationship, build that, that Rolodex of contacts. And so when the next email comes through or the hot tasker comes through, you're like, oh yeah, I know that guy in the G44. I'm going to go over and talk to him. Or you need somebody at the, the G5 or any of the other sections or, or subordinate commands. And so I think within civil affairs, we're just good at building bridges and building connections. I like to tell everybody my job comes down to walk around and talk to people and get to yes. And that's what I do best. And I bring people in communities together, align them on a mission or a goal, and try to find a pathway or develop a program to get to that goal. From previous discussions we've had, you mentioned to me that the Security Cooperation and Assistance Mission, SCA, has particular synergy to the skill sets that we have in CA. And you were here as a Security Cooperation Officer at USERAF. I understand that that required quite a bit of interagency work, and you were constantly traveling throughout Eastern Europe, which is why you weren't at my promotion party. What was that like in, in that travel? And can you share any stories with the audience? So to, let's break that into a couple pieces. So let's start with that. What is it like to get into security cooperation? And so here I have to sing the praises of my organization because they recognize that there are very few in the Army community or even within DOD that really truly understand what are the authorities and regulations that are involved in conducting security cooperation. And so they really went slow to go fast. I had to get all of my Defense Security Cooperation University certifications to get my basic certifications, which I would put a plug out there that that is very valuable training for civil affairs officers. It's distance learning. It's easily accessible on the DCSU website and their Blackboard page. And you learn a tremendous amount. And you really start to see where Department of Defense and the Department of State really come together on this mission. The Department of Defense has the lead on the security cooperation mission, and the Department of State has the lead on the security assistance mission. The biggest way to tell the difference if you're doing security cooperation or security assistance is if you're doing security assistance, you're going to leave them with something tangible. Hmm. So you're going to give them an actual certification. You're going to leave them with equipment or something else that's tangible. Security cooperation is really subject matter exchanges, short duration, getting together, sharing knowledge, sharing information. And, and that's the big difference between the two. There's tremendous difference in the regulation on both and what we have to report to Congress and what we have to report on what we're spending. 
through all of it. It's regulated through the Geographic Combatant Command. So for us, US UCOM, who is the only government entity that can actually authorize somebody to go do a mill-to-mill event. So I spend a lot of my time understanding what is the need, how does it support this proposed mill-to-mill activity, support U.S. strategic interests in addition to meeting a partner need, and then going through the workflows and the processes to make sure that the Office of Defense Cooperation at the various embassies is aware, concurs that it's a good idea, and that the U.S. UCOM, both their legal and their J5 all concur that this is something that we should be doing as well so that somebody at a unit can actually have the authority to go and conduct a mill-to-mill activity. Thank you very much for mentioning that training that's out there. You've actually piqued my interest on that. I may have to, to poke into the, the university site there. I've heard that we have some select civil affairs forces that are actually involved with our security force assistant brigades, or SFABs. That formation, are they doing SCA, and does civil affairs have a role in it, in your opinion? So the SFABs are a little bit of a different animal. That's actually an assistance brigade, so security assistance. And so here you're actually going long duration, can very much connected to foreign military sales, building a capability, building a formation, most often amongst basic branch land forces type function, where security cooperation, again, short duration, small packages, trying to have a larger impact and probably repeat over time. And we're accountable to Congress to be collecting data so that we can do assessments on how are we progressing towards reaching those milestones or objectives that have been nested within the U.S. UCOM country plan for a specific partner? You're heading on to other things now, but you've started a number of initiatives in your time here, and many of them joint combined initiatives, which is outstanding. I really think we need to do more joint combined work. Almost all of our battles and major military operations are joint combined. So thank you for, for your commitment there. As you move on, and we, we always are one PCS away from the next assignment in the military, we, we get two to three years in any one thing we do. How do those initiatives you started move forward? What, what are the next steps in them? What, what uh, might they mature into in time? My primary mission has been in Poland, which has been key to both U.S. strategic interests with our growing presence and the establishment of U.S. Army Garrison Poland there. One of the first garrisons established in, I think, 40-some years. You know, in our response to the the conflict in Ukraine, they're a key partner. And so what my intent has always been is to really utilize mission command in describing to the individuals, what are we trying to accomplish? What does end state look like? And then partner with them to develop that, that program of events over time, several years, most of the time of how do we achieve that objective? both at at a pace that we can sustain because almost everybody that's doing these events has another job that they're doing on a day-to-day basis. And this is something that they do as an assigned task. And then our partners have sometimes limited capability or capacity. They can't all just sit and meet all of the time. And so we have to go at a, a pace that both parties can appreciate and tend to. So my goal has been to describe the end state, get validation and verification on that end state with our key stakeholders, like I described, the State Department, U.S. UCOM, as well as any other medical leaders, be that U.S. Air Force, Europe, U.S. Army, Europe, 
Sockier, all of those different entities to make sure that we're aligned and we're reaching each other's goals and to give them a project uh, and keep them on track. My goal has just been to, to remove barriers and to help develop the plan. So as I leave, hopefully that plan is established well enough that as a replacement comes in for me, they have some time and space to get acclimated without any serious demands of trying to fight any fires. And then they can continue the mission from the objectives that we've established here. I love the way you emphasized clear communication in state. I think arguably maybe the single most important thing a commander can do. As an operations officer, if you hand me a clearly defined in-state, I can do the homework of decomposing that into the various objects, plans, programs, OA&Is, lines of effort, and objectives that we need to incrementally move from the current picture to that picture under operational design. I think sometimes we, in the, in the current environment in competition, where we're not clear what competition looks like and what the military's role in competition looks like, and further, what winning for the military specifically looks like in competition. Without that, as you just described, clear in-state, I, I think, presents some challenges, not just for civil affairs, but for all formations in trying to deliver in the 99% of the time we're, we're going to sit in competition. I would totally agree. And, and I think this is where, this is a space that CA officers really could utilize their skills. Again, it goes back to building bridges, building connections. It first starts with having those mill-to-mill -mill connections, knowing who our partners are, developing that link diagram of who's who. And the one advantage is we move around on the U.S. side way more than our partners do. In my experience, most of my partners have been in their positions for five plus years with wow. probably another three to four to go. And maybe even if they get promoted, they're still staying within that same organization. So when you develop a connection and when you develop a relationship, you have a fairly enduring access point to utilize for when that flaming hot stone comes over your shoulder and you need to reach out to somebody for help. You're already like, oh yeah, I know a guy over there or a girl and they can help me out. And if they don't know the answer, they probably can help link me into somebody else because we're a close relationship and we're considered good friends and partners. And there's a trust that already exists there. You mentioned Ukraine. And I think uh, being where we are in Europe, we, we have to talk about that uh, a little bit. You have had kind of a uh, unique perspective here because you, you were here just before it kicked off. You've been here since it kicked off and you're still here now. You, you've seen that whole progression with all the associated objects that came with that crisis. What are your thoughts about things that you have learned from the Ukraine conflict? And what do you see the implications both for the military as well as the uh, civil affairs formations? Well, so as the country desk officer responsible for Poland, I think my focus since the start of the, the conflict hasn't necessarily been on Ukraine itself, but how can I help and support Poland in the yeoman's work that that nation has gone through supporting Ukraine and facilitating NATO's response to the conflict in Ukraine by opening up space for training, by opening their homes to displaced persons, 
it still just astounds me to this day when I saw the thousands of people in Warsaw coming out of the train station and there never ever was a refugee camp established. Wow. And they were just taken in. And in fact, because I'm on the healthcare side, so some of my partners came up with innovative solutions. They just concluded a pilot project that they actually brought in folks from Jordan to help them understand how do you set up programs so that you can provide good access to care for displaced persons who have chronic disease processes so that they can continue to get preventative care and for it not to go to catastrophic care. And I thought that was just brilliant in how they structured it in, in bringing in some other national partners that have direct experience from the war in Syria. And they did some lessons learned. And now they did it at, at one specific site in Warsaw. And now it's getting spread through the entire network of military hospitals in Poland. And I think it's just an example of how my partners have innovation in mind how they're able to, like you say, dissect a problem and find unique solutions. And so as the Ukraine conflict has modified and changed, I've been able to see, help and assist Poland in their military medicine respond to that, as well as maintain and even in some places accelerate their own capability development as they seek to reach their NATO target goals. Outstanding. It sounds like at least within the context of access to care and staying in the uh, care continuum of care, we're learning as much from our partners as they're learning from us. Would you, is that, that a fair statement? Oh, I think that's absolutely true. Outstanding. So just all, all the more reason for us to engage on that joint combined level and harvest those best practices because there's a lot of talent out there and they've got some amazing ideas. Okay, well, we're nearing the end of our time, so I'm going to ask just a couple more questions. Well, one question I always like to ask is about uh, opportunities for civil affairs soldiers. Many of our brothers and sisters are not aware of the myriad of opportunities that are available to them. You know, they're aware, of course, of CTC rotations, the NTC, GRTC, or J JMRC. But outside of that, the type of tours that you've done and that others have done, the opportunities in the CIMIC, the Theater Information Advantage Detachment, the rotational forces. There are many, many opportunities out there to come to Europe. And there's a lot of domestic opportunities for civil affairs soldiers, such as the broadening positioning you were doing at the G9 for the 79th Theater Sustainment Command. I think a lot of folks don't even realize that those are primary civil affairs positions there. Can you tell our audience, which includes both uh, soldiers and Marines, what some of those opportunities are if they want to go somewhere and how would they apply for them? So I think with for Army Reserve TPU positions, you really have to use the HRC tools that they have. And don't be afraid to look outside of the regiment and do searches by AOC or MOS and really look and see where those are. If, as civil affairs officers in the Army Reserve, we all have to know that we have to travel to the job. So almost every job I've had in the Army, I've selected it and looked for a challenge and looked for an opportunity. And what was I going to learn and what could I bring to that fight? And was that a good match? And so that I would recommend that. And then for things overseas, you know, going active duty, that tour of duty website, it's always changing. There's always different positions that are up there. And look, sometimes you have to sort by one rank up or one rank down from where you are to try to see what's a fit because they don't know what kind of a marketplace they're going to get on a position. So they're just trying to take a swag at this feels like if I can get a major, I would be happy. 
But if I get a lieutenant colonel, they might be just as happy or happier. I came into this role as a major. I promoted while I was here, just like you. Mm. So one just like the other. And I think you kind of have to look at those zero one alphas or pick up your taglines or look for things, read in the descriptions, look for things that have a civil affairs skill set. Might not have a name because, you know, they're trying to get somebody and they might not be just targeting civil affairs officers, but there's a lot of opportunities in international relations, security cooperation, security assistance, you know, working in the G5s, you know, those are all great opportunities for civil affairs officers to go and get some fantastic real world experience and then bring that back to your formations. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Taking those the valuable lessons we learn, you know, from our active battle lab here next door in Ukraine. Unfortunate that that's there, but a lot of lessons are being learned. We're going to take those back to our formations so that we can benefit from them. I'm currently hiring for 16 ADOS uh, RC tours in my particular section here in Wiesbaden. And I know we'd be happy to take a Marine in those positions. Marines use four digit MOS codes. And, and of course, in the Army, we use an alphanumeric combination. But it's very easy to just do a Google search and look up what those things are from one branch to the other to, to search for those those opportunities that are out there. We're always interested in qualified folks from regardless of the branch that they're in. I pre appreciate you pointing that out. Now, I guess congratulations are in order to you for having been command selected uh, as the new battalion commander for the 492nd Civil Affairs Battalion out in Arizona. Congratulations. Thank you. Battalion command is kind of considered the pinnacle of most officers military careers. Are, are you looking forward to it? So I'm looking forward to it, but we have to understand that the Minnesota born and bred guy is going to Arizona where I think it was 110 for however long. So if I don't melt, I think I'll be, I'll be fairly successful. Make, make sure you play at golf at four in the morning. You'll be fine. Oh, I'm horrible at golf and just <laughs> I love being on the golf course, but it's just not, not my talent. But I'm actually very much looking forward to it and really looking forward to, to working with the troops, working with the company commanders, working to develop good CA, NCOs, and officers in teams that real-world commands can depend on. Well, the 49 seconds in store for treat, and uh, we look forward here at the podcast of following uh, what happens in your career, and maybe we'll do a, a follow-up with you a few years into your command and uh, see if anything's changed. Thanks, Brian. All right. Thanks for your time and have an amazing day. Appreciate everyone for tuning in. Uh, this concludes this episode of 1CA Podcast. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. If you get a chance, please like and subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. Also, if you're interested in coming on the show or hosting an episode, email us at capodcasting at gmail.com. And thank you again to LC38 Brand for offering 10% off to our listeners. We've been nominated for the People's Choice Awards, and this is a little extra treat for those who made it happen. Again, the code is 1CA10, and the site is lc38brand.com. And now, most importantly, to those currently out in the field, working with a partner nation's people or leadership to forward U.S. relations. Thank you all for what you're doing. This is Jack, your host. Stay tuned for more great episodes. 1CA Podcast.